The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. This is our f***ing city. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Hello, Boston. This is David Yaz. I'm the president and CEO of the Boston Podcast Network, which makes me sound really important, far more important than I actually am. But thank you for joining us on the Boston Podcast, where we talk to personalities of the city, professionals, other characters. I have such a character here with me in studio right now, my friend, the great Nancy Capistran. Nancy, how are you? I'm great, David. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Our studio audience is on their feet with applause. Now, I've known Nancy for a long time in professional circles. She is a pro and the best in the business, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to coaching executives, guiding them through crises, trying to get them to the next level in their career and their path and their journey. And Nancy's company is called Capistran Leader. I'm going to screw it up, Nancy. Capistran Leadership. What's the name of your company? Capistran Leadership. Capistran Leadership. Okay. Yes. Um, so I did have it right. Mm-hmm. See how she just um, negotiated me through that crisis there when I couldn't find my words? That's how good she is, folks. So I wanted to have Nancy here for a couple reasons. One is she's just super cool. and um, we will, But we want to talk about crises, and we also want to talk about how executives get to the next level and how she helps people. She also has recently published a book called Open Your Eyes and Lead, subheading, Hardship and Wisdom Shape the Best Leaders in life. Open your eyes and lead. That's cool. How'd you come up with that title? Well, I wanted something to be like a a statement where people, there was some action associated with it. Like open your eyes and lead. There's a call to action. So you're commanding your readers Mm -hmm. to do something, which Mm -hmm. is, which is good. So let's, so, so let's break it down. So open your eyes is, does that tend to suggest that people you work with sometimes don't see obvious points or, um, points in their career where they should be really considering what they're going to do next, that sort of thing, or what? Yeah, I think part of it is that we, oftentimes people don't realize that they're actually leaders of their own life, mm-hmm. and and that's personally and professionally, and sometimes they feel like they're a victim of their circumstances and that they don't have options, and we always have choices, and so this is telling people, like, even though you're dealing with some really intense situation, and we all have challenges, but that we really can be in the driver's seat in how we show up and how we respond to whatever those challenges are. Okay. And so, in other words, it's that old, it comes back to that old cliche, you're the CEO of your own life. Mm-hmm. So you think a lot of people, professionals, leaders who have impressive resumes and bios and careers, why do they get stuck? They get stuck because they, it's like they can't see the forest for the trees or they see themselves as uh, a cog in the machine rather than a, a the entire wheel or whatever. <laughs> um, so a lot of times they just don't know what they don't know. So right. oftentimes when I'm working with senior leaders, you know, the CEOs, presidents, owners, partnerships, um, it's I'm trying to cover their blind spots. Mm-hmm. We all have our areas of expertise, but nobody has all the answers. And when you're running a business, 
there's lots of variables that are happening. So if you can have a trusted advisor that's helping you work through the thorniest of challenges, things that are keeping them up at night, to be able to help them to show up better, then there's a ripple effect throughout the organization and more favorable outcomes. What what tends of thing? What kind of things do people come to you when the phone rings? Is it like? Nancy, I'm I'm completely bored at work. Or is it also like Nancy? I just um, I just sent out uh, an email to my entire company, and it it had jokes about monkey genitalia, and I'm dead. What do I do? Or, or everything <laughs> yeah. in between. It's it's so many different things. It it could be um, profitability. It could be revenue. It could be strategic plan. Like they initially started the business doing X. And now they're doing, you know, Z that has nothing to do with why they started the business and what they truly loved. So I try to help um, kind of give them a, a better roadmap into what they're trying to do. And often um, executives are drinking from a fire hose. There's just so many things going on. They're being pulled in so many directions. Everybody needs a piece of them. And they're just kind of on the treadmill trying to put out fires all over the place. And sometimes it's asking them to kind of stop the treadmill and just pause and say, okay, what is it that you truly want? And helping them to figure out what that is. And then what are the steps that need to go into effect? Like some things you have to be intentional about saying, I don't want to do that anymore, even though maybe it's been something you've been doing forever. And our tendency is to avoid that that kind of thing because they think, oh, well, this is the job. We have to do it. I have yeah, to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, like the toll taker at in the Mass Pike who says, you know, I don't want to take tolls anymore. Okay, mm-hmm. bad example. They don't even exist anymore. <laughs> they <think>. don't. Anyway, <laughs> um, so you were telling me before we we started recording that um, a lot of people are unhappy. Like they're the unhappy walks among us more than you would know. So. Tell me again what you told me about that poll, because I want to talk about that. Yeah, so Gallup did a recent um, survey. They've, they do it regularly, which is wonderful. It used to be that 70% of the working world was either unengaged or disengaged. Now it's 85%, which is just an unbelievably... I, I mean, it's, it's just unfathomable that it's so many people... That's unhap- unhappy people. Unhappy. unhappy with their job, their career. Yeah. So yeah. they're they're either like disgruntled or they're just kind of checked out and not really, not putting forth the effort that they could be. So if senior leaders understood that and, and digested that more, oftentimes the soft skills is like it's squishy and we're not paying attention to that. that that's, there's no KPI or no, no uh, goals or objectives. Well, what's are, a KPI? Um, key performance indicators. So oh, okay. it's it's what businesses. I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's what businesses do um, when they're trying to set goals. They need to have some kind of criteria by which they're measuring their goals, and oftentimes KPIs are used for that. Um, and when we think about human dynamics or the softer skills, um, there's not a lot of patience usually to deal with that stuff because they don't think it's impacting the bottom line when it actually is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So eighty five percent of us are miserable. Um, and like what, what, I take it there's no magic tonic, but can you think of an example where somebody after you, they were done working with you said, I'm so much happier. Like, what is it usually? Is it usually that they're working on something different and new? Is it that they're working more or less or what is it? Yeah. So everybody has different things that they want and need. And I always focus on their agenda. Like, what is it that they truly want? And oftentimes, we don't think about what do we really, really want? Like when we're brutally honest with ourselves, what's making us happy? It's just as important to know what's not making us happy. Mm -hmm. And so when you can get a clearer picture of what that is, then you can help them, which is what I do, to be focusing on the things that they really do enjoy. 
mm-hmm. and um, it makes a difference. And I think that motivation and and sometimes it's just um, helping them see things that maybe they didn't even realize that was an option. They mm-hmm. or you know they didn't even know that it was a possibility. It, they didn't even was never in their thoughts. Do people sometimes come to you with problems and you have to give them the hard advice that you're the problem? In other words, you're you're doing something wrong or you're looking at it the wrong way? Or Yes. Sometimes that does Tell happen. me how that works. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I traditionally only work with people that want to accelerate their success. So I'm not dealing with people that are cemented in with their view is, you know, it's their way or the highway. Um, because I know that that's not going to be a successful interaction. We're not going to be able to get to where they need to get to. So they have to be really committed to wanting to make a difference in their space. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when you can help them in their professional space, uh, they're much happier in their personal life as well. Are you professionally happy? I am. I love what I do. You're not disgruntled at all? No. You can't be mad at the boss because you are the boss. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it's, life is too short for people right. to be that unhappy and for so many people to be unhappy. The revenue and the increased quality of work, the, the amount of work that you can get, the efficiencies, um, you know, having people collaborate better instead of not playing nice in the sandbox, it's, it's a much better outcome for the business. I used to talk to a lot of lawyers when I when I worked for Lawyers Weekly, uh, Captain Obvious. Thanks, Dave. Uh, but <laughs> a lot of lawyers would would come to me with and tell me that they were unhappy. Mm-hmm. Newsflash: a lot of lawyers are unhappy. It, it yes. can it can be a draining and monotonous profession. And so this one lawyer was saying to me, um, "I just I'm bored. The work I'm doing is not engaging. And on top of everything else, I don't necessarily love the people I work with either." And I said. Okay, let's. I always tried to give advice. I was like, let's look for a new job. I can introduce you to some people. And she said, I, I just, I don't know if um, just moving to another firm is going to fix it. It's going to be the same kind of stuff. And I said, well, let's do, do something different. What do you enjoy? And I remember she said, what am I going to do at this point? You know, I'm already like, a, I don't know if she was a partner. She was either a partner or a senior associate at her firm. And I said, you know, she's like, all these years I already put in, I have to stay on this path and you know what she was probably like 34 years old like, mm, <laughs> like, like yeah like she's 34 she thinks there's nothing else she can do for the rest of her career right as it happens i forget what advice i gave her she has she since moved on and she's doing other things and she seems much happier but do you get that like people like eh, i'm stuck what can A i lot. do yeah yeah so especially what, with attorneys right it's um i think partly is because they feel like they're the victim of their circumstances they've either you know been billing a lot of hours and the you know they've get the income that they get from that and the bonuses and such is um, kind of expected not only in their household but with their partners or you know whoever else is in the firm with them so it, they become accustomed to that lifestyle and they kind of there's a big piece um, that's in my book which talks about fear fear is a, a big reason why people don't change yeah in inertia right mm-hmm. and um you know, people are, they're creatures of habit. And, That's right. And listen, it's true. I mean, if, um, to take the example of the woman I talked about prior, I don't remember what her circumstances were, but for the sake of argument, let's say she, she had two young kids, mm-hmm. mortgage, and between her and her husband, we're just kind of breaking even on expenses. Mm-hmm. So in her head, you know, right. she was making, say she was making 120 grand, whatever she was at the time. If she, you know, goes to work for some nonprofit and is going to earn $40,000 a year, whatever it is, she, she, in her head, it's like, I might be happier, but I'll be stressed every day. What do you tell What do you tell someone like that? Well, it's not the only option. So I actually had a woman who was in a Boston 
large law firm, and she was unhappy and wanted to do something different. She was um, a recently divorced uh, with two college, no, high school um, age. They were going into college. Mm. And um, she's like, I can't. I, I can't not do this. I'm miserable, but um, I don't have any options. And we talked about it. And fast forward, she opened her up a lot, her own law firm, loves the particular area of law that she's doing. She feels like she's making a huge difference in people's lives. And she's so busy, she can't, she can't even believe, like that. right out of the gate, yeah. she was really busy. And she's like, I, I can't believe the difference. And I would never have done this had it not been for you helping me to transition and see something from a totally different perspective. That's a great story. Mm. Is she in your book? She's mentioned in your book. No, she's, no. she's not one of the stories in my book. Oh. oh, actually, she is in my book. Okay. She is in my book. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think about that. She is. Maybe, okay. Well, maybe she'll have a bigger part in the next book. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I think um, people don't realize that even though you may have to take a step back in your career, I've done it a couple times myself, mm-hmm. um, where you're just earning less money or, heaven forbid, you go into some debt and- but there, there is so, and and I'm not going to say there haven't been miserable moments for me and for many others who have done this because it it can be very trying. But at, at the end of the day, you can know that you're betting on yourself, That's right? right? And um, so, um, how long? When did you open your current outfit, Capistran Leadership? Like how long? Um, it's been about four years. Okay. Yeah, I left corporate America about six years ago, and I left for a very similar reason to what we just talked about: is that I was good at what I did. But I was unfulfilled. And what I was really excited about was the things I was doing in my um, personal life and the volunteering I was doing. So I wanted to somehow blend helping people and making a difference in people's lives with what my career was. And so that's why I decided to go into executive coaching. You grew up around here, right? Mm -hmm. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Hudson. Hudson. Yeah. Is that home of uh, Paul Salucci, the late Paul Salucci? Yeah. Okay, so you're the second most famous person from Hudson, Mass. <laughs> Where is Hudson? Uh, 495 out there somewhere? Yeah, it's, after, it's near Marlboro, um, Southboro, Northboro area. W- what's its claim to fame other than Solicitor? Do you have like a cool ice cream stand or something like that? Um, not that I can think of. Oh. <laughs> Hudson. <laughs> nice community. <laughs> <laughs> you need some PR work right away. We need, we, need, we need people to visit beautiful Hudson. My town, Sharon, is known for... Um, not much, but um, <laughs> but uh, we have an ice cream stand called Crescent Ridge, with which uh, I don't want to blow the secret, but it's not as good as everyone thinks it is. But it's pretty good, and and they have cows grazing in the back of the ice cream stand, um, so the kids get an ice cream and they go to cool. wa- watch the cows poop, right? And so, but <laughs> but, but um, then my innocence was totally shattered when somebody tell, told me, you know, that's not where they get the milk for the ice cream. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, well, they milk those cows, but you know, if if you drive by on like a Monday morning at six a.m., you'll see the milk truck, huge milk trucks pulling up from oh, wherever really? the milk really comes from. So the cows are just for show, but it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> so we're known for that, and we have the the probably the biggest Jewish cemetery in the in in New England, um, which is great. You know, anytime I want to visit my grandparents, you know, um, convenient. Yeah, it's that it's not necessarily something we like to brag about. And uh, frankly, you, you get caught in a lot of funeral processions. But hey, you know what? I mean, it's okay. Like, um, I'm sure they live a fulfilling life, and far be it from me to to uh, cut into their uh, <laughs> their funeral procession. Special moments. It's annoying me sometimes. So, um, you told me your professional nickname, as it were, was is nine one one for senior leaders. Yes. Is that fair? 
So not so. I may have uh, I may be repeating myself, but give me another example of when that that nine one one moment when people should call you. Are there any examples in the book or something like that? Uh, there are some. Yes. So I actually have two companies. Capistry and Leadership is is the um, where I am an executive coach in helping um, business owners to expand their reach and uh, make their businesses more profitable. And then Crisis Interception is my second business, which I have a business partner, Tara Goodwin. She has her own PR firm, Goodwin Group PR. And she and I, probably three years ago, started talking. Somebody had introduced us, and it was like we were the same person. We would finish each other's sentences, I mean, at Mm -hmm. the very first meeting. And we both have extensive experience working with crisis situations. And um, But yet, we overlap in what we do, but we also have our own area of um, expertise. And we realized that there wasn't uh, very many businesses out there that had the combination. Oftentimes, when you Google crisis management, it's, it is a PR firm. But um, when we joined together, it was now we're able to support the senior leaders to be able to um, help them so that they can say, I mean, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of where, when and how severe uh, a business will have some type of a crisis. And that could range from having a rogue employee, having, um, you know, maybe the the staff, you know, because 85% of the working world is unhappy, you know, the revenues are down and such. Um, but it also could be there's a fire, an act, some kind of, um, you know, natural disaster, um, active shooter. I mean, it could be a variety of different things. And so we come in kind of like the SWAT team to be able to help the company to um, – you know, survive and thrive through those challenging situations. For a minute there, it sounded like they call you when there's an active shooter and you're wearing a flak jacket and, and reporting to the site of the incident. That's not, that's not it. Right? I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm helping that. I'm helping to facilitate. Shouldn't laugh about such a thing. But yeah. right. So you're talking about some sort of disaster or even tragedy yeah. strikes a workplace and they come to you and they say, how do we put the pieces back together? Right. So like yep. I've had a, um, and it was an, actually a law firm that uh, the founding partner uh, very healthy, 54 years old, uh, just had his physical, everything was excellent, worked out all the time, fell asleep one night, never woke up. Oh, geez. And then how does the law firm, I mean, they were just devastated mm-hmm. because he passed away, but also the business was frozen. Like they couldn't do anything. They didn't, he was the, he was the, the face heartbeat. of the business. He was the heartbeat of yep. it. And, um, you know, trying to help with those types of situations, it, it gets intense. Yeah. Well, the law, uh, when I was at Lawyers Weekly in, in, I don't forget if this was 90s or 2000s, maybe 2000s. The most one of the most venerable firms in the city was Testa Hurwitz, and Dick Testa was the the guy who founded the place, and he was kind of the face of the the firm. But it was a huge firm, hundreds of lawyers, and he died. And um, I don't recall how old he was, whether it was kind of before his time or what. But within a year, the firm had folded, and they clearly didn't have mm-hmm. no a succession plan. planning. Right. Right. So that's the kind of thing you can step in and... Yeah, no crisis plan. I mean, those are all critical things. And, you know, some of the other things, um, I am an alumni from the uh, FBI Citizens Academy. So that helps me to be able to have direct connect with if there is some kind of a crisis that requires FBI or what have you, um, knowing what they need. What's the FBI Citizens Academy? So um, you get sponsored into the program, either somebody who is an alumni or somebody who's in the FBI. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to go through extensive... Uh, screening to make sure that you're appropriate to be able to go mm, into this. Background. Yeah. Um, I just ruled myself up. 
And then basically you get a, a really good understanding of the underbelly of the FBI. So not only have I, I did that in Boston, but I also have been um, at Quantico and FBI Washington headquarters. So cool. Yeah. So just understanding kind of how they handle situations and then how does that overlap into what I do and how can I make it easier for our clients if they are in type, a type of a situation that requires, um, you know, police support. Um, you know, how do we get the right people connected and the right information as quick as possible because every second matters when we're in a crisis and usually a crisis consists of an event, mm -hmm. some type of event. So, um, that's why it was called 911 for Senior Leaders because I'm often um, helping them with the thorniest of challenges. Sometimes you, it's an event, but sometimes it's just that the business is rapidly growing or there's some kind of a major shift. But the FBI Citizens Brigade, I mean, that's not what it's called. I made that up. Citizens, what is it called? Aca Citizens <laughs> Academy. Yeah. It, it's just, it's made, uh, the goal is that you become more educated about the, what the FBI does so you can what? So you can call them if need yeah, be? Yeah, so we're or? like an yeah. outreach for them to okay. help in the community so that there's more awareness in the community, another set of eyes, people that are educated on what the FBI does, when to be looking for things, um, you know, see something, say something. And so this is kind of expanding upon that as well. See, that sounds super interesting to me, but I don't need it. I know what the FBI does. They go down into dungeons and interview serial killers so they can establish the patterns of future serial killers. And all my knowledge comes from Silence of the Lambs, as you can tell. <laughs> um, let's take a break on the Boston podcast. Um, when we come back, we're going to have some fun. So we've got um, some examples of crises going on, which may or may not involve... The owner of the New England Patriots, you might have heard of a, a little kerfuffle that he is involved in. We're going to ask Nancy what advice she would give him. Lord knows he could use it. Stay with us on the Boston Podcast. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm here to tell you about an affliction that affects millions of Americans every year. It's growing and there's no end in sight. I'm talking, of course, about... Podcast Envy. Hi, I'm George. I suffered from Podcast Envy. Sure, I had a podcast, but it wasn't the biggest deal. It was just insignificant compared to other podcasts. I felt so inadequate. Hi, I'm Buck. I felt myself consistently looking at other podcasts. They seem so massive. My friends and I were finally able to conquer Podcast Envy when I found the Boston Podcast Network. They gave us a new podcast, a mighty powerful one too. They even gave it a name. Shawshanked. We finally had a podcast, one we could hold up high and be proud of. We were now able to whip out our podcast and expose it publicly. Thousands of people received our podcast on the internet on pod617.com. Some enjoy our podcast in bits and spurts. Many prefer to swallow it whole. Either way, don't wait any longer. Please act now. End your own podcast envy. Go to pod617.com and take hold of your own podcast. Find our podcast Shawshank. See if you can handle it. Don't be ashamed of your little podcast. Get a big one at pod617.com. Welcome back to the Boston Podcast. This is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. By the way, you should have your own podcast. I mean, Nancy, isn't it cool in here? It is. It's, it's excellent. It's, I would highly recommend it. All right. See? You see? Uh, Nancy Capistran, author of Open Your Eyes and Lead. Maybe one of the ways you can do that is by getting your own podcast. And uh, we produce them here at our 
Soundproof Studios in Westwood, Mass. And so go to pod617.com, check out how you can get started. Okay, end of plug. All right, we're going back to the content. Don't everybody panic. I feel I'm panicking, Nancy. So, uh, Nancy, did you see the Oscars? It's okay if you didn't, but did you see them? Just a little bit. Okay. So, um, I watched a lot of it and then fell asleep and woke up and kind of saw the end. But did, did you see any of the films nominated? Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody... Yes, no? A what? little bit, yeah. No, no, what? No, I mean, did you actually see the movies in the oh, theaters? No, no, no you I haven't, haven't seen any. No, I've I... been buried with my book. Okay, well, <laughs> now that the book is is out there, and by the way, before we forget, Open Your Eyes and Lead by Nancy Capistran, um, available, I take it, on Amazon? Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And you've done some, like, book signings at Barnes & Noble? Yes, yes. Okay. So bookstores still exist. So yes, they good. do. And I'm it's just nice. Kidding. It's a nice, it's a different dynamic, which is great. Yeah. Some people really like going to the bookstore. I definitely do. I do because like I, there's one by my house, uh, a Barnes & Noble, and it's you can like multi- multitask in there. Like you get yourself a coffee at the little Starbucks mm-hmm. cafe and, you know, you can browse around. And it's like an awesome place to buy gifts because not only books, but there are other little sort of trinkets and sort of creative things. So it, it's a nice go to and now it's to the point where books are kind of old-fashioned and so when you give somebody a book as a gift they're like oh a book like that (laughs) that was thoughtful like and uh it's real easy so so get the book it's cool i okay i confess i haven't read it yet but i'm holding it in my hand right now and i promise you nancy i i will read it and i'm sure it's excellent so um we're talking about the oscars and uh just since Nancy is an expert on crisis management, we thought we'd have some fun. It's not; It may not be spot on the kind of stuff she deals with, but who cares? So um, Kevin Hart, the comedian, was originally signed up to be the host of the Oscars. There were some tweets that came out, which were old tweets, which in Kevin Hart had said some homophobic things. Turns out Kevin Hart had already apologized for these like years earlier, and he was like, what the hell? And they gave him some ultimatum, like, either you come forward and you really apologize for this stuff, like, again, I guess, or you're not going to be the host. And finally, he said, uh, screw it, I'm out. And um, a lot of people, you know, can't blame him. And the the thing now is people saying, like, it's hard to find any host because you're going to find something in their background. Right. The political correctness has run a little too crazy. So they went with no host at all. And people said, well, that sounds like a horrible idea. And, um, well, if you saw the Oscars, I guess, you know, you could be your, your own judge. Let's take a listen to how they opened the show. Well, first they did, uh, they had Adam Lambert singing with the remaining members of Queen, and they did a couple Queen songs to salute Bohemian Rhapsody, which was a shrewd move, I think, because most people like Queen, so it got people in the mood. And then this is what happened after that. And now, please welcome Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, and Amy Good evening, and welcome to the One Millionth Academy Awards. We are not your hosts, but we're going to stand here a little too long so that the people who get USA Today tomorrow will think that we hosted. And they're striking a pose. That's great. That's great. So just a quick update for everybody in case you're confused. There is no host tonight. There won't be a popular movie category, and Mexico is not paying for the wall. At least they got in the Trump joke, right? That's right. And we won't be doing awards during the commercials, but we will be presenting commercials during the awards. So if all the 
winners could please say, Hellman's mayonnaise, we're on the side of food, instead of your speeches, that would be great. Again, we are All right, well, you get the point, right? So, um, pretty smart to go with the, these, uh, the SNL alumni because um, I think they're kind of beloved and, and kind of non-controversial. But um, so the question is, you know, was that a good move? And, um, you know, they went with something unconventional. So I don't know. What do you think? I think it was an excellent move. Yeah. Whenever there's controversy, you want to come out of the gate strong. And they did that. They outside of the box thinking, and they did something that was appropriate. And oftentimes, those trailblazing moments can create new trends. Just because it's always been done one way doesn't mean it's the only way to do something. And times are changing. That's I think true. it's excellent. Yeah, um, it's it is a great lesson. Um, I remember all everything I needed to learn in life. I learned at summer camp, and and so. At summer camp, um, Color War was a big thing. Did you go to summer camp ever? My son, my kids did, and oh, I did. remember Color Wars. Okay, so Color Wars, you know, they divide the camp into two colors and all kinds of competition over the course of, you know, a week or a couple of days, whatever they do. And at my camp, it was a big deal to be named captain of Color War. Mm -hmm. But it, it's so much so that there was such anticipation, who's going to be the captains? The, it, it's among the oldest of campers, so these kids are like 14 years old, whatever they are dying to be chosen captain of the green team or the yellow team. and But the problem was there were these, it was like a media leak problem, <laughs> like that they wanted the captains to actually pick the teams in secret. But in order to do so, they had to kind of shepherd them away secretly, which inevitably led to people seeing this little maneuver and they would know who uh, the captains were. Mm -hmm. Before it was announced, it kind of ruined the surprise. And I, I was in charge of this color war one year and I said to the directors, just a shame that everybody always finds out. And he said, "Well, why do they have to pick the teams? You know, why, why not have why not start a tradition of having the previous year's captains pick the teams? And yes. that way, you when you announce the captains, they don't even know they're being announced, and then you get the full effect." And everyone kind of looked at him and said, "Oh my God, yeah, why not? We had done, idea. since the dawn of time, we had done it the other way." Mm -hmm. He said, "Do it this way." And we, we did it uh, the new way, and it was just, it was killer. The, the shock looked on the faces of the kids who got picked. They were, it, was, it was awesome. So you don't have to do things the same way. Yeah, those creative time. ideas are huge. Yeah. So, um, and uh, good on you, Academy Awards. Of course, they just put people out of work because they're not going to hire a host for the next, you know, 20 years probably, whatever that is. But it wasn't such a bad show. All right, well, now let's get to Bar Bob Craft. All right. Nancy, I don't know if you've heard, but he's in a little pickle here. He's yes, in a little he legal pickle. This is just one of the news reports. This comes from Ness, and we'll listen to uh, what's going on lately. New details are coming out today about the prostitution investigation involving Patriots owner Robert Kraft. Palm Beach County State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg holding a press conference Monday afternoon. Robert Kraft is charged with first-degree solicitation after being caught on camera inside the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter, Florida on January 19th and the 20th. Interestingly enough, the 20th was the day of the AFC Championship game when the Pats took on the Chiefs in Kansas City. His court date is scheduled for April 24th, but he does not need to appear as his lawyer can appear for him. Yeah, boy, okay. So, um... Nancy, you need to get to Jupiter, Florida right away and give him some <laughs> advice. So this this is delicate. Now, what did you think when you heard the news? I'm always skeptical of anything that I hear in the news because mm -hmm. there's always fake news out there. And I think it's important that we don't 
rush to judgment. I don't know one way or another, but I don't think there's facts out there just yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it'll evolve. But a lot of people do jump to conclusions and spin the story. And it's kind of like when we were little and played the telephone game. So if you had a group of six people and you said something and then it was relayed secretly to each person by the time it got back to you, it was totally different than how you started it. So I always just kind of wait to see what the facts are. Right. All right. Well, but let's play the hypothetical game. Okay. okay. So Bob Kraft comes to you with his lawyer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they say... You know, we think we've got the legal part figured out in this this little um, incident, but we could use help on advice on just how to kind of rehabilitate the the reputation or whatnot. And what happened was, you know, Bob uh, Bob here. I guess I'm playing his lawyer here. Bob here um, made a mistake. You know, he's 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 getting on in years, and um, he's had a tough time since his wife passed away, and he made a mistake. He went into this uh, spa between us. He, he knew what he was doing. He's in and he's out. He pays his money. And um, he always thought it was not a good thing, but, you know, not everybody can be perfect. Unfortunately, he's gotten nabbed, okay? Mm -hmm. But we've worked out the legal part. We know that we can go into court and we can plead no contest, which means we don't have to admit to him doing anything specifically. And as long as he stays clean within the next year, no run-ins with the law, no conviction. So we're cool. But... We've got, this is a, a pillar of society here, you know, the owner of the most successful NFL franchise, I love saying that, NFL franchise in recent memory. Um, so what should we do? I think a lot has to do with, um, you know, so if, if that was all true, what, how we played this Just show. hypothetical, yeah, yes. Hypothetical, Just hypothetical, yes. Yeah. So I think it's up to Robert, um, with guidance from his attorney, but... It's really about what his character is and what he wants for his brand, personally and professionally. Um, you know, I, I know he does donate to charities that... Um, Combat human trafficking, yes, right? Which yes, yes. So yeah. it's kind of like a double-edged sword, what's happening here. Um, and so I think he would need to think long and hard about what he wants to stand for. And oftentimes, this is where the rubber meets the road. The problem was he was thinking long and hard. Oh, sorry. I couldn't resist. <laughs> sorry. That's my immaturity, not Nancy. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so I think, you know, honestly, you can come out of the gate and, um, you know, apologize if that's the case. Right. Um, but it also, you have to think about the legal ramifications of that. So we are, whenever we're doing any kind of a crisis situation, when there's always an attorney there, because they're looking at it from, from that perspective and, you know, sometimes admitting guilt can be a bad thing. So you have to be very strategic about No, I'm not letting you off the hook like that. Uh, I mean, that's good <laughs> advice. However, yeah. you but you're changing the hypothetical. The the my hypothetical is he's cool with the law. Um, and he can he can get out of this without admitting facts, okay? I think he needs to lead by example. Okay. And Me I think he he's the type of person he should um, apologize and yeah. do what he can to be able to accept responsibility. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. because, um, well, I don't know if this is apples to apples comparison, but we think back to Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. And what did he do with Monica Lewinsky? I did not have. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have an inappropriate relationship with that woman. By the way, there's a documentary series on A&E that came out in recent months. It's excellent. It just, they interview Monica and mm -hmm. you learn a lot of things that you didn't know. I recommend it. But um, so, yeah, and, and look at what happened to him. I did not have 
And, it, and then he had to repeat that. And all of America said, oh, yeah, right. Exactly. And then that led to him doing that, that awkward, ham-handed, um, I misled you. While what I said was not legally, was legally accurate, it was misleading. And so, He's backpedaling. Like, yeah, so you bullshitted us like yeah. we all thought you did. And you, you kind of ran through a legal loophole. And but he lost all credibility with a lot did, of people. He right? did, right? And right. that never comes back. Once you, once you zing people like that, they're, they dismiss you. Like. Yeah. He just doesn't have the quality or the value that they thought. And it's definitely impacted him in a big way. And the flip side might be this Jeff Bezos thing, which we were going to get into, but time may not permit us. But, you know, he, when the National Enquirer was blackmailing him with alleged, you know, pictures of his genitalia that had, they had come into possession to, um, he said, hey, screw you. You're not going to blackmail me. Mm -hmm. You want to publish the pictures? Go ahead. I mean, that uh, takes some courage to do that. but. Yep. Um, he called their bluff. Right. And he didn't deny it. He didn't say, right. those pictures aren't mine. Um, uh, I think back to, you know, Hugh Grant when he, <laughs> you know, caught with a, pro arrested for soliciting prostitution himself in kind of lurid circumstances, went on the Jay Leno show and just kind of went, oh, shucks, I made a mistake. And I think we've forgiven Hugh Grant, haven't we? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, know? you know what? We're all human beings. We yeah. all make mistakes. It's about how we show up after those, how we respond. And do we take ownership for it if we're really you know, guilty about it. And if not, it's, you know, how do you prove it to make sure that uh, the right message is out there? Oftentimes, people will immediately go to they're guilty before all the evidence or before all the information is out there. And um, it does impact people in a very negative way. And it's unfortunate. But for those that, um, you know, are guilty, and they know they're guilty, you know, they need to make it right. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to take your advice. This is and I'm now I'm Bob Craft. And this is what I would say to everyone. I would come out and say, this is a sad day for me. I don't. I don't. That's mean to do the to do the Bob Craft voice. But what if he came out and said, uh, you know, good morning, everyone. This is a really sad day for me. I'm re and I apologize for even having to be here and to take up all this uh, of your time explaining this. Um, I have through my lawyer. I said uh, represented that I did nothing illegal. That may be. That may technically be true. But let me just say that I made a mistake. Um, and uh, I make no excuses for this. Uh, this has been a transitional period in my life, but it's it's my responsibility to guide my way through that. I just screwed up. I had a, I had a couple moments of weakness, and I did something I shouldn't have done. Um, now I didn't realize until this whole thing had unfolded that I was part of a bigger picture that is a huge problem in society, and that's human trafficking. Didn't realize it at the time. Certainly realize it now. Mm -hmm. Now I have supported organizations that try to. Uh, prohibit, prohibit, uh, what would be the right word? Um, eradicate human trafficking. Mm -hmm. um, anything I've given to those organizations in the past, I'm going to double it. In fact, I'm going to triple it. In fact, well, whatever, however much mm -hmm. he wants to spend, he's got plenty of money. Um, I don't expect to be forgiven for this. I don't expect this money to be some sort of, um, you know, retribution for what has happened, but I hope it can do some good. And so, like, it, like in any bad situation, you hope that some you can spin it around to, to some good. People are talking about human trafficking right now, and I think that's good that people are talking about it because it's right. a huge societal problem. I'm going to do what I can do to do my part, however small, to uh, rid our society of these troubles. Yeah, and I, I think somebody I like him, that's great. Yeah, okay. I think somebody <laughs> like him, he can help to build awareness, right? And it's yeah. already been something that he's been passionate about. He just um, maybe didn't realize that they were doing it against their will. And, you know, some people are open about doing it, and, and that's their profession. Um, others are forced into it. And I think it's the forced piece that it becomes really challenging. And um, 
I'd like to believe that he didn't know that they were being forced. Yep. And um, well, I guess we'll never know. We will if, if right. he knew. But I, I'm with you. I mean, I think on that you give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but yeah. I think he's he has the um, the what I want to say the um, visibility. Sure. To be able to make a positive, so turning lemons into lemonade, I think yeah. is huge. And you know, maybe there's a blessing in here in disguise that yeah. could really benefit our world in a better way. You hear that, Bobcraft? We'll we'll forgive you. This is cool. You made a mistake. Now do something good. Yep, call a spade a spade Yeah, and make it better. And by the way, j- just as a footnote, I might as well do a shout out. You and I were at a USA 500 uh, gala dinner a couple of years ago where this organization was uh, honored and some money was donated. It, uh, Our Lives, Our Choice, I believe is the name of it. I'll double check that. But um, do you remember that? Yes, Yeah, just I a, do. Just yep. a great organization that uh, locally that um, is dedicated to, um, you know, fighting human trafficking and raising awareness about how deep this problem is. You know, this this spa in Jupiter, Florida is but one example yes. of these things that go on. Um, and I got the name a little wrong, but I'm going to correct myself. My Life, My Choice. Mm-hmm. And you can go to fightingexploitation.org to learn more about it, learn the depths of the problem in Boston and in elsewhere and see what you can do to help this. Because this... Because this is creepy. We didn't go into all the details, but they did come out about how these women have no lives. They're essentially slaves. Yes. Right? And it's sad. Yeah, it really is sad. I had no idea until my life, my choice, when I started digging into more of that. So uh, I was thankful that USA 500 really opened my eyes to that. And, um, you know, I continue to support that organization. And I do too. And uh, I'm going to reach out to my life, my choice, and get someone from that organization on this very podcast. How's that? You see how it all comes together, Nancy? You're so awesome. And we t- <laughs> thank you so much. And you're awesome. And as a reminder, you got to buy uh, Nancy's book, Open Your Eyes and Lead. Find it on Amazon. And uh, Nancy's over at Capistran Leadership. And if they want to get in touch with you, go to your website. Yes, capistranleadership.com. Or they can check out my book website, which is openyoureyesandlead.com. Oh, that's so good. You got that art URL. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you. Um, so we are up against the clock here, so I'm going to say farewell to Nancy. But I hope you enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? Ex- absolutely. All right, you, you passed the audition. We'll have you back on the show. <laughs> thanks. Um, thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast. Find all of our past episodes at thebostonpodcast.com. Or if it's easy to remember, go to pod617.com. That's my company, the Boston Podcast Network. We can produce your podcast. Check out all the great stuff we have on there and get in touch with us to learn how to get started. You may have your ideas ideas for a show. You may know now, not know what to do. You may already have a podcast and you just want a little brush up. We'll work with you in any way you like. That's all for the Boston Podcast. Thanks again, Nancy. And enjoy your day, Boston. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Are You Not Entertained? The was I and um, the am I entertained? Can I start that again? Sorry. Am I entertained? I did it again. <laughs> Dumbass! Are you entertained? Ah! All right, sorry, sorry. It's Ed Nathanson. I'm here to give you the podcast that I've always wanted to do. That's talking about movies. That's talking about music, sports, pop culture. That's talking to some of the best people in employer branding around the world. Are you not entertained? Can I start that again?